Coming up on the payoff, Chris Thompson is a serial entrepreneur, but most importantly, he is four years sober. And why it's so important that he's sober is because he's able to put all the good stuff out there that can help people connect in sobriety. And the main way he does it is through an app called Sober Sidekick. He's going to tell you what it's all about, but it's a creation that he came up with 30 days, 30 days sober, and it became a reality basically 30 days later, 60 days sober. And he has continued to work with the wind at his back, whether that wind is recovery or the success of this app. And uh, he was an incredible person to talk to, just very thoughtful, um, very, very smart, uh, smarter than me. So I tried to let him do most of the talking. All right. But you're going to really enjoy this. Uh, Chris Thompson uh, is a special guy. But first, a special guy. I'm going to see this guy next week. Maybe he'll tell us about that album he's supposed to have, right? Kevin Souza. Hey, Pete. Yo, Chris. What's up, man? I'm doing well. I have a really good friend who I really trust. And uh, he went, his dad coached basketball at Cabrini. Uh, Forever, mm. forever. His name's Mike Zeke, and his dad is John Zeke. And mm. a couple weeks ago, he sent me, he's like, you got it, because he knows, he's familiar with me. He knew me before I was sober. He knows me now. And uh, he's like, you got it. You got to get in touch with this guy. And he sent me an article, I think, from Fortune Magazine and, and a video that you had up on your LinkedIn. And I was like, wow. Um, yeah, and so, mm. then, so then I reached out. And you know, Mike is one of those guys. He's he. When I first got sober, I was like, it was like a slow integration into life because I lived in, I was doing like, I lived in a halfway house after rehab, and then I was doing like, I was living with another sober dude, uh, living in Jersey City, but working in New York City. And Mike would like take me out to get like, you know, to nice restaurants and stuff because he lived in the city and worked there, and it was like it felt really good. He's just a thoughtful, a great guy, mm. and uh, so the fact that he thought a lot of you, I was like, let's go, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I had a great conversation with him a couple of weeks ago and, um, yeah, yeah. The Pennsylvania ties, uh, you know, kind of sparked it, but yeah, I agree. I agree. I was very impressed. He's a thoughtful uh, guy too, I, like yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Intentional. Very intentional. Yes. Very intentional. All right. Let's get, I, I want to intentionally move now. You say that, and I love when you said this, people's, People that are sober, the story is they're the best comeback stories out there, and everybody loves a comeback story, and these are real stories. So I want to I want to get in I want to get into yours. I mean, I know I got some background on you. So where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in Westchester. Um, it's a suburb outside of Philadelphia, about thirty minutes outside the city. So yeah. And where did you go to high school? Um, a very small school called Westchester Christian. Okay. I, I went to Carroll. Um, and so Archbishop okay. Carroll, yeah. And Radnor. So that's, uh, so that's how I know, I know Mike from, from, we played basketball together, Carroll. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we play Westchester Henderson in football, but we never played. I, I'd never heard of, uh, yeah, Westchester Christian. So did you have a Christian upbringing? Yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up, um, in the church, uh, it was a Baptist church. Um, yeah, yeah. So it was like 
church and, and school, it was all combined uh, into this one very tight community. Now, did you feel like a part of, or did the Christianity kind of maybe take you out of that as a young man? Are you thinking like, man, I, I don't know. I, I, am, am I boxed in or not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is, this is kind of a, a sensitive subject, but I'll, I'll answer it honestly. Um, but you know, for me and you know, what I've learned in recovery, what I've learned from, you know, being involved in, in groups like AA, um, you know, I, I found, you know, empathy and, human non-judgmental connection that you know has really you know turned my life around and you know unfortunately I, I didn't see a lot of those things in um, you know the denomination that I grew up in um, you know and and you know kind of as our mission with you know supporting comeback stories you know we we want to be the platform that lifts people up uh, when they're down, you know, see broken people as just people who have, have yet to start their comeback story. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's just, you know, a lot of fear driven motivation out there that in my opinion doesn't take people too far. Um, but at least for myself and in my own experience, you know, it was the people who reminded me, you know, that I'm capable of more um, and that we're all capable of more. Um, and, you know, that grace, uh, you know, the, those were kind of the things that, you know, shifted my perspective. And one thing I say about my own recovery journey all the time is I'm not a stronger person than I was. I'm not a better person than I was. I've just had a change in perspective. Um, and, you know, that's really really all it takes it sounds it's simple but it's not easy yeah totally uh i've a football coach here uh dave Miranda, the guy who coaches baylor i'm in texas now and he says uh i think it was miles davis maybe said you know jazz is simple but simple ain't easy you know and uh and that's kind of like how i view recovery i'm a 12-step guy too an AA guy like it's it's simple but you gotta you gotta do the work um, and, and that's, a, that's, I love, I've never heard that, um, you know, the change of, of perspective. When did you, uh, have your first experience with alcohol or drugs? I always say it was, I think I was a, maybe a freshman in high school and I, my first real experience, you know, and it was, it was my first spiritual experience. I tell people, you know, I grew up Catholic, but that was when I was like, Whoa, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I really want to answer that, but uh, a thought came to mind that I, I wanted to touch on on, um, you know, the conversation we were just having. Yeah. Um, I I believe it it comes from Jim Rohn, um, but he said something like, you know, having a good life is very simple. Being successful is very simple. Um, and then people, someone asked him, why isn't everyone successful? Why isn't everyone happy? And he said, well, making the wrong decision is also easy. You know, it's also very simple. Um, and it's the consistency that makes the difference. Um, and, you know, that just really impacted me when I, when I 
listened to it and um you know i i thought someone else's words might be wiser than mine <laughs> in this situation <laughs> well, who, who said that uh jim jim rome jim rome um, yeah of course I, will, I love jim rome yeah the broadcaster yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah that's so many, pretty cool so many nuggets there yeah uh totally and i and i love that too because it is easy to make the wrong decision. I have made the wrong decision in sobriety. Uh, you know, it's not all unicorns yeah. and, and rainbows, yeah. as we say. Uh, oh, yeah. And, I mean, and, and I was talking to somebody. In, in my opinion, we're all in recovery, whether it's from drugs or alcohol or, you know, work or failure or trauma. You know, everyone's in recovery from something. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's the consistent daily effort uh, of letting go and, you know, um, you know, just being a little bit better, keeping the man in the mirror accountable um, is what we're all doing. What, so when, when did you have that first, that first drink or that first drug that kind of altered your state of mind in a way that you were like, whoa, I'm into this? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, was, I was a late bloomer um, in that my first drink came at 19. Um, I was a, a freshman in college and, you know, I really, I really didn't have much, uh, maybe drank like half a drink. And I just noticed later, like all this anxiety that I had was gone and I'm like, where'd it go? Um, <laughs> and it was, it was kind of like, you know, it, it, it was kind of like a light bulb moment that like, you know, all it takes is a a few sips and, you know, kind of the anxieties, the fears, they don't seem so big anymore. Um, so I was definitely a late bloomer and, you know, in, in the beginning, you know, I, I would say I was just, you know, a normal 19 year old, a normal 20 year old. Um, and, you know, I, I, in some ways, you know, was a little bit delusional, um, in that, you know, everyone told me that there were all these consequences to drinking, to alcohol. And, you know, the situation I was raised in, it was like, you know, if, if you drink, you aren't saved, you know, you aren't going to heaven, all these different things, yeah. um, which I didn't necessarily believe. So it was, it was kind of an all or nothing uh, approach um, that, you know, I, w I had kind of been raised with. Um, so when it came to, when it came to, you know, doing normal things at a young age, it was like, you know, I, I, I don't really see what's so bad about this, um, was kind of my initial experience. And so you, you're an athlete in college too, right? You went to, you went to play basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, walked on. Okay. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, the first school I went to, it was called Clearwater Christian College. Um, in Florida, they since uh, shut down. I was only there my freshman year. Um, walked on there, and then uh, transferred to Eastern University, and then walked on there also. So was basketball like as you started to, I guess, move forward, right? And I don't know. You can tell us, like, or tell me how it sort of developed. What did basketball help you once you drank? Did you? Did you drink again your next opportunity? Were you like, wow, I got I to gotta find this again? Or was it one of those things where oh, it's, it's a while because you're on track with school and basketball and you just drink again, you know, randomly? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I would say basketball definitely held me accountable, um, you know, in, in those early days. And that, you know, as at that point in life, you know, all of my life goals were centered around basketball. Um, so it, it really wasn't, you know, an, an extreme temptation for me. It's like, oh, this is, is nice to have when I can have it. Um, but, you know, it wasn't worth, you know, I made the mistake of being sick uh, the first day of workouts uh-huh. um, one year. And I never made that mistake again because <laughs> it was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to this conversation in a second. But right now, a word from our sponsors. From the host of the popular podcast, The Only One in the Room, Stash by Laura Cathcart Robbins is a propulsive and vivid memoir about the journey to sobriety and self-love amidst addiction, privilege, racism, and self-sabotage. Best-selling author Holly Whitaker calls it an irresistibly delicious story. And MacArthur Foundation fellow and best-selling author Kiese Lehman says Stash is emotionally riveting. Buy Stash by Laura Cathcart Robbins now, wherever books are sold. So, so when when you uh, when you're in college, you're you're playing basketball. Socially, how are things develop? Like, are you developing social skills? Because I did not, um, and so my social, my my all of my relations, right, romantic, personal. I mean, a lot of times, more often than not, I was uh, affiliated with football too, and that really kept me kept 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 like you know the bumper the bumpers on like in uh, when you're bowling, you know that kind of sort of kept me on track, but. I, um, yeah, I, I, I gotta say, um, there was a, a lot going on, you know, did you find yourself using alcohol to have relationships with other people? Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. Um, you know, so I, I guess we kind of touched on the fact that I, I went to a very small school, um, and it was basically the same 20 people kindergarten through senior year, um, so I, uh, going into college, I had a ton of social anxiety, you know, all the questions of, you know, what do you, what do people think of me? How socially awkward am I? Um, you know, I, I don't know how to fit in all these different social anxieties. So, you know, one of the things I realized early on in my drinking is that it really took the pressure off and, you know, I, I felt. I, I don't feel like this is true anymore, but I, I felt at the time, like I can be more myself. I can let go a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely agree with that take when it comes to, you know, kind of the social anxiety, uh, you know, that, you know, alcohol relief, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, in- yeah. No, for me too, especially, and it was the biggest lie that I ever told myself. And I've told myself a lot of lies, but you know, this makes me better. And, and, and again, I had, a, I believe that I had a reaction to it. Like that's different from most people, right? Probably not different from you, but different from, from most people. And that reaction just put me over the top. I mean, I was all in, uh, did you find yourself like, so you, did you get through college? Like like with basketball kind of keeping you on the tracks, how does that develop? And then what happens after college? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so when it came to, when it came to basketball, um, by the time I was at Eastern, 
Um, I actually, you know, the first year I transferred there, um, I didn't make the team. And then the second year I walked on, um, but it wasn't long after I walked on where I had my first startup idea. And, uh, I, I got all in really quickly. Um, and you know, there was only a matter of time before, you know, I realized I couldn't manage practice school and the startup as I was looking to get it off the ground. Um, so I, so I actually quit before I played a single game at Eastern. So um, but then you start up this, you, you have a startup and then how does that, how does that go? Yeah. Yeah. So in, in many ways I got very, very lucky. Um, for one, I, I had a co-founder who was, uh, very experienced and experienced leader in, 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 in the startup world. Um, and, you know, we had an interesting idea. Um, it was uh, a pay-it-forward algorithm for undiscovered musicians where essentially we – it was an app where undiscovered, undiscovered musicians could self-support each other um, and give each other feedback in real time and kind of lift each other up. And, you know, the way the app was designed, if you were an artist and you wanted feedback on your music, all you would have to do is give feedback to someone else and the app would automatically play your song for someone else to listen to in real time. So it was an interesting no, idea. And we, we gained, yeah, yeah. And we gained a good amount of traction. We recruited a few thousand musicians before we even launched it. Um, and then on launch day, we actually went viral on Twitter. Um, like we were in the trending box and we had 40,000 downloads come in the first, uh, couple hours. And how, um, how old are you when this is happening? I was 21. <laughs> pretty heady yeah. thing. Pretty heady experience. I would imagine. Oh yeah. It was out of this world. And <laughs> I mean, where it, it goes south is, uh, it was at that point in time while we're in the trending box on Twitter where we realized that our servers weren't set to auto scale, <laughs> which meant that the app could not support the amount of people who were on it. And literally everyone, uh, it, the app didn't work for anyone. Um, while we're in the trending box on Twitter, um, and, you know, we had outsourced the development to a team in India. We weren't able to get them on the phone in time, and it was it was a disaster. So, you know, it's not it's not often that you go viral on your first try. Oh, yeah, and then and to fail at that level, it it hurt my ego. Oh yeah, but I'm, it's one of those things. Like I bet that never happened again. Uh, uh, you know, it's a uh, it's a it's a tough missed opportunity. Maybe did you ever recover? this app from that? Yeah. So that, that kind of ended up being the beginning of the end. Um, and really looking back, uh, the lesson learned for me was, you know, you can't found a tech company and not have your tech in house. Um, and you can't launch a tech company without, you know, tech, at least a technical co-founder, who actually can code and can actually build this. So um, it was at that point in time where I realized 
I probably picked the wrong major and it's, it's too late to change my major. Um, which, so which, which, which was, what was it? It was economic development. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's what, that experience is what sparked, um, my self-taught journey when it comes to coding technology. Um, and you know, was consistent, was obsessive, you know, until, you know, I built the confidence to be the, my own technical co-founder uh, for the future. And so is this, you're, you're developing now as a, as a man. Um, and, I, you know, this is one of those things where, you know, we talk about getting sober and doing esteemable things. And that can give you the confidence, right, that alcohol and drugs gave you. But still, while you're, while you're out there, you know, career success um, and l- teaching yourself how to do something like coding, like that can give you confidence as well. Are you kind of, you know, are are you now moving forward with a little bit more wind at your back uh, as you're learning and as you're starting to become, you know, this serial entrepreneur? And and, and where is drugs in all this or alcohol? Yeah, yeah. Um, So um, so we're talking about this point in time, right? Yeah. 21. Yeah. 22. Um, So at this point in time, I dealt with a major, major life curveball. Um, and, you know, also at this point in time, my drinking was um, problematic, but no problem. Okay. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. so, so like, I, I wasn't drinking like a normal person. You know, I could drink way more, way more often than, most of my friends, um, but no problems were really coming out of it at this point in time. Um, and you know, so that's why I say it's problematic, but no problem. Uh-huh. And you know, the fact is that, you know, it was just delayed problems, you know? <laughs> um, and you know, I, and then I, I, I dealt with a, a major life curveball. um, to which all my confidence in myself was shattered. Um, all my trust in the people around me was shattered. And, uh, you know, alcohol became my only solution. What, what happened? Can you, like, can you say what happened? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, I, I can only say so much about this because I don't want to, um, I, I don't want to mention any of the people involved. Sure. Um, but long story short, I, I realized that I was not a dad when I thought I was a dad. Okay. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at that point in time, I was very invested. Um, you know, I, I, I was all in, um, you know, so. Yeah, that's soul crushing stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. So you start to self-medicate and. Yeah. Where are you living at the time? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm still in Pennsylvania. Um, I'm it entering my senior or you know i'm 
I, I had taken a break from school, but I'm re-entering my senior year of college um, and at Eastern University. Um, so I'm, I'm living in Westchester slash uh, uh, the Radnor Wayne area. Oh, okay. Are you, are you like drinking at those bars and stuff? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, drinking at the bars, drinking in Westchester, uh, drinking on the main line. Yeah, uh, going into Philly on the weekend. So now, are we are we drinking and doing drugs too now? Not quite. Okay. Okay. Not quite. So so we we have this this uh, event which is like you said a major curveball. I've, I've been through similar you know relationship stuff. Just that that all I did when anything like that happened to me was just pour alcohol and drugs on any feeling mm-hmm. I had. Like I did not want to yeah. feel pain. And so if I ever felt pain relationship-wise, it was time to really ante up, you know, or, or I should say level up. And it sounds mm-hmm. like you did the same thing. Did you start to have major events happen related to alcohol or stuff where you're like, okay, this is, even though I might be having success in this area of my life, I continue to move forward trying to create, uh, but were you having trouble with alcohol? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh- I got two DUIs in one summer. Um, you know, I was not being the version of myself that, you know, my friends thought I was. Um, you know, I was I I was not a good boyfriend, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. I like I was not a good son. Um, you know, there I you know, there was there was pretty much no area of my life to where, you know, I was being the version of myself that I needed to be. Yeah. And so now we're sort of, sort of starting to, cause when you get the legal stuff going, uh, and, and you're, you're being dishonest, like that is, you know, now we're starting to free fall a little bit. And, and let me ask you this, because I've done this and I know a lot of other alcoholics and, and addicts have done it. When this, you know, curveball happens, right? And did you look at your drinking and, and, and whatever drug use at the time and point to, okay, well, it's because of that. I mean, that, if any, if, that oh, yeah. ha- if that happened to anybody, they would be like this. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, you took the words out of my mouth. Um, you know, it, that's exactly, that was exactly what was going through my mind. It was straight victim mode. Um, you know, no one can tell me how to handle myself. You know, you would be the same way if you went through the exact same circumstances, playing the comparison game, being resentful of anyone who could live a normal life. You know, I was resentful towards normal people. Like yeah. I would, <laughs> I would, I would see someone holding a steady nine to five job. It might, might not even be a good job. It, you know, might just be like minimum wage. And I would be resentful at them for the fact that they could pay their bills. And that they could have relationships. Yeah, and this thing had just thrown you so far off track that you weren't capable of that. So I need this. I need this potion to help me out, uh, which is crazy because that's. I mean, it sounds like that's what you were thinking, and that's exactly how I would think. Um, and sometimes still do today, right? In sobriety, uh, you get into you get yeah. into that victim mode. But so then, what starts to happen? I mean, because now you're getting into into pretty big trouble, uh, like. How do you end up getting sober? I know you meant you. I heard you on some other podcasts and read some stuff. I mean, you talk about 
and you and you 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 don't brag about this, right? And we we don't brag about it, but we also it's like uh, qualifying, right? You kind of want to connect with the person that's listening. Like you you had situations where you're down of, you know, buying drugs and a guy puts a knife to your throat. I mean, stuff where I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I'll kind of fast forward because you know we're we're at 22 and I didn't get sober until 24. <laughs> we um, got time, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so going to jail, it was only 30 days and then 90 days house arrest. Um, but going to jail for 30 days after, during the time where I should have been graduating, but I wasn't because I failed all my classes, yeah. um, was a really, uh, really humbling experience. I, I, I say it's humbling, but I don't think I was humbled truly at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, it was more a shameful experience. That's a more accurate way to put it. Um, but it was a wake up call. And for me, the wake up call was, I can't drink liquor. I can't drink liquor anymore. It's gotta be only beer. And I, I should never, ever, ever drive again. If I have plans to drink yeah. because I know myself, even if I'm going out for one beer, that's not possible. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not leaving till I'm drunk. You know, I'm not leaving till, you know, I'm blacked out, you know? So like driving, just not an option. Also my license was suspended. Um, you know, so yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I thought I adapted and, you know, I would only really drink liquor at parties. Um, and it would be beer, um, the rest of the time. And, you know, the, really I was just putting a bandaid, like, you know, on a bullet hole. Consequences. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a better way. Yeah. Put, a a, way put, 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 you put a bandaid on like a gunshot wound, you know, it's like this is sooner yeah. or later, you know, this thing is, is yeah. going to get ugly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, started a new relationship or, uh, yeah, started a new relationship. Um, you know, every once in a while I get drunk and say things I'd regret and then I'd apologize for it. Um, you know, wasn't doing great, but you know, I had seen how bad I could do. And I was, I was thinking, considering the circumstances, I'm not doing that bad, Yeah. but you know, as it, as it goes, it's progressive and you know, I became more and more dependent and you know, hiding cans, hiding bottles, um, you know, and, you know, when it came to career, career wise, you know, it was starting projects, but never finishing, uh, um, which is the most unfulfilling, disappointing thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And you just bury that exactly. shit and it's like, God, I can't believe I didn't get that done. Yeah. And then, um, finally, um, my girlfriend at the time, I had, I said things that, um, I should not have said, uh, and you know, she figured me out like, Oh wait, he's an alcoholic, yeah. you know, it finally clicked for her. Um, and you know, I, from that point forward, I had no one to, uh, hold my, hold my shit together for, you know, I had, I had no one to pretend for. And, you know, it was that checks and balances leaving my life 
and, you know, the self-pity and the victim mode to where, you know, I, I was free falling, you know, and I was binging and I was ending up in the hospital and, you know, the morning shakes, all these different things. And, you know, I'm only 23, 24, like, and yeah, yeah, completely isolated. Um, and you know, I was contemplating suicide. Um, and you know, I, I thought that the best case scenario for me was dying in my sleep. You know, Mm -hmm. it was all self pity. Um, and you know, if it, fin- it finally got to a point where it, it was just so bad where, you know, it was, it was, I think it was August 1st, uh, 2018, where it's like, you know, either I get help or I'm killing myself. So maybe I get help. Let's see how that goes. Yeah. Um, so I, I called a hotline um, and they told me they could have me in treatment in California the next because you were living in California. Um, what was that? You were living in California at the time or no? Nope. Okay. No, I was living in Westchester. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yep, on Minor Street behind Barnaby's. Oh, yeah, um, sure. Yeah, yeah. So they told me they could have me on a flight to California the next day. Um, and I said, yeah. And, you know, I, I was drunk enough to make the decision to say yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I, want, I want to treatment with a perspective that maybe they can fix me. And I'll give them a shot to fix me. Um, is looking back is, is the perspective that I had. You know, so... I, I went to treatment, you know, they introduced us to AA, they introduced us to different things. And, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, I go here, I get 30 days and then I'm set. This is behind me. I can move forward. Um, so completed the treatment program. Um, and my first day out of treatment, I, I get sent, I, I go to a sober living. Um, and my first day out of treatment, I, um, I, I <laughs> matched with this, I matched with this girl on, on Tinder. Okay. And probably not, probably not the best course of action, uh, of, of yeah, one day yeah. out of rehab. But I, but I, yeah. when I tell you, I get it, I get it. <laughs> I've been yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. My best thinking got me. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I matched with a girl on Tinder she asked me if I want to get high and I didn't think about it for long and I'm like, okay, I'm down. And, <laughs> uh, just like that, um, just like that. And I only had like, you know, $150 my bank account at the time. So, you know, go like, and we're in it. We're, we're in LA. Like this is literally my first day of freedom in LA. Um, we go get high and then what are we doing? Are we doing Coke uh, or yeah, Coke. Okay. Um, yeah. And then are we drinking a little bit too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, as soon as the come down starts to come hit, it's like, I don't want to come down, Yeah. you know, but I'm also out of money. So, um, I'll, I'll just, 
lied to this girl and tell her I have more money. I just can't get into my bank account right now and tell the dealer that we'll come back in the morning. And so we get more, get high again or keep it going. And then the morning comes and it's like, I'm at the ATM pretending to have an issue. Um, and she's on, she's on to it and the dealers are friends. So it's, it's like, nope, we're, we're going back and you're, you're going to work this out with him. Uh-huh. And it's just like, shit. And I like, I'm, I'm coming down and I'm not really, oh, man. I, you know, I'm just trying to talk my way out of it. Um, you know, she, she takes my phone and goes up there and then I'm just waiting and then I go up there and they're like, so are you, you going to pay or not? And then the how much money was it at this point? It was, it was only, it was only like a hundred, $150 that I owed. Okay. Um, so my phone gets taken and you know, there's a machete in my face and you talk about shame. Like they're telling me to, to text, you know, my friends and family members to send money. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, just talk about like, never thought I'd be in this situation. Yeah. And then, um, you know, and then, and like, and I'm like 36 hours out of treatment at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get my phone back machetes in my face well let me tell you chris thompson it, you qualify <laughs> well, there's no yeah. yeah right it's like wow yeah i can totally relate yeah yeah so yeah not to drunk along too much no no um, dude that's i i asked and i was curious and i think it's important for people to hear stuff like this so they can connect because they see you uh you know doing what you're doing now and you can to somebody who doesn't get a chance to reach out and touch you, maybe through a podcast or reading something about you, they can feel unrelated. Uh, you can feel unrelatable, but you are very, especially to somebody looking for help. So go on. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to get my phone back because, like, how else am I getting anywhere yeah. in L.A. without it? <laughs> um, it? I never get it back. Girl drives away. On our, I'm I'm there just arguing with the dealer while the machete is still in my face. Um, you know, and you know, they talk about pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. You know, that, that was a walk of shame for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, having to ask a random guy at an RV if I can call my mom so she can order me an Uber back to the sober living that I'm kicked out of for sure by now. Yeah. Um, you know, and realizing that she had already gotten text sent from my phone um, about about the situation. It was just, you know, the guilt and the shame. It was, yeah, and, you know, that guilt and shame, you know, I'd like to say that was the last day I ever, I, I ever drank or used, but it wasn't. You know, that guilt and shame, you know, I, I just kept, like I just couldn't handle it. And I was, yeah, they sent me back to the treatment center. I was in and out, in and out for like the next three months. Um, you know, 
going through this shuffle um, to the point where, you know, my, my last, my last run um, was the week before Thanksgiving where the run started and it only took me like 24, 36 hours to get my phone and wallet stolen again. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like, you know, and I, I'm, just, I'm just like with literally nothing roaming around LA in a poncho and hospital pants. Um, and you know, it's, it's raining the night before Thanksgiving. I'm sleeping outside of a Ralph's. Um, you know, I, no matter which way I move, the rain is somehow still dripping on my forehead. And, you know, I, I wake up Thanksgiving day, 2018. And, um, you know, you know how it is, the delirium, tremens, state, the paranoia, the seeing things. And it's, you know, and seeing people walk in and out of Ralph for Thanksgiving, grabbing, you know, turkey sides, all these different things and thinking, like it's Thanksgiving day and this is where I am outside a supermarket. Are you asking people for, are you asking people for money or anything? I'm asking, I'm asking people, um, I'm asking people if I can borrow their phone. I'm asking, I'm not asking for money straight up. Okay. I'm asking people if I can borrow their phone. I, I technically had money in my bank account. I was also asking people like, can you, can you log into my PayPal and, PayPal yourself yeah. and then which sounds like a, a whole scam, but it, it like it was it actually was there. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, if you see a guy on the side of the road asking you that you have the right to be skeptical, um, <laughs> you know, but yeah. Yeah. So, so what um, happens? So here we yeah. are. I mean, we're outside of Ralph's the day before Thanksgiving and, uh, that's it. it. Thanksgiving day. That's oh, it's Thanksgiving at this time. Yeah. So what do we do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's facing the reality that, you know, this, this is where I'm at right now. Like, you know, I used to have dreams. I used to have a startup. I used to be an athlete, all these different things. I, I used to be an honor student. How, how did I get here? Um, and, you know, that's where the first honest thought that I'd had in a while popped into my mind, um, which I had heard in the rooms of AA, which is my best thinking got me here. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, remembered a, a, uh, a line from, I, it was either a podcast or a motivational video, um, where, uh, Will Smith was being interviewed and he had said something along the lines of, you know, um, you know, there's a big difference between fault and responsibility and most people don't recognize the difference. You know, if your wife cheats on you or you get in a car accident or you lose your job or this or that, it may not be your fault, but in her, in his words for damn sure it's your responsibility. You know, only you can take responsibility for your life. And, you know, I thought about that and that's where, that's where, you know, I began to separate, um, you know, for, 
at least for me, when it comes to fault, that's associated with guilt and shame, but responsibility is associated with action. Yeah. You know, so when you separate fault and responsibility, you're able to take action. Um, you know, so I, I asked myself, like, didn't have a lot of hope that day, but I asked myself, you know, what if today's day one of my comeback story? Um, and what if, you know, I, what if I actually gave myself a shot? What if I gave my recovery a shot? At this point, it doesn't matter why I'm an alcoholic. It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. Um, could be genetic, could be trauma, could be whatever. Um, but we're, what we're, I, here, we're like, here right but, now. I mean, this is so. Yeah. 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 So um, borrowed a phone, uh, called my mom, um, got an Uber to a hospital, um, got to the hospital. It turns out I've been to the, that hospital like a few days before. I didn't even remember it. That's where the hospital pants came from. Uh-huh. And then I had AMA. And, um, you know, I, I told them, uh, you know, this and that, I need help. And, you know, at that point in time, they were sick of me. And they, they <laughs> said, this isn't a homeless shelter. Um, here's, here's the number you can call. Um, and, uh, yeah. And it, as I was, was walking away, I heard the security guard say, I, I fucking hate this guy. Oh my like gosh. I'm sick of this guy. And you know, it was, it, it was humbling, you know, because that's where I was at. You know, that's who I was in, you know, I, I look at the person I was then, you know, I, I can't, I can't blame anyone for having any types of feelings about, you know, where I was at, but, you know, I knew, (laughs) I knew in the back of my head that this time was different. And, you know, in my head, it's just like, you know, that security guard might not know it, but I'm never going to have a drink again. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and you know, I, I, I told my mom, I'm, I'm sorry. And this is never going to happen again. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, it's, you know, God willing, you know, God willing, that is true. And, you know, that has been true for the last almost four years now. Um, but yeah, yeah. And, uh, so did you go back to rehab or did you go to, to just meetings or how'd you do it? Yeah, yeah. So hospital didn't work out. So I got. It sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my mom got me one more Uber um, back to the sober one of the sober livings that I had gotten kicked out of in uh-huh. the last three months, where you know I knew some people and you know had respect, like you know. Yeah, some relationships, some relationships there. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, and I and it's not look. It's not know, the first relapse or chronic relapse, whatever that they've seen in the recovery community. If somebody comes back and they're willing to go to any lengths, people, you, you you'll get an audience. I mean, that's that's what recovery is all about. Yeah, yeah. So I I walk into the sober living, dripping wet, shaking, and I just say, you know, where's Bill? 
um, who was the manager of the house at the time. And then I, I say, I need help. And, you know, um, him and, you know, my best friend to this day, Aaron Evans, um, you know, they just, you know, surrounded me with love and, you know, support and, you know, and sat there and talked to me and smoked cigarettes um, and, and until they had found a place for me to go uh, for help and, um, you know, got into a treatment center that night. I ended up being their first client ever. Um, <laughs> That's a good and, story uh, for them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if, if they still existed, it would be great. <laughs> um, <laughs> whatever, whatever works. Right. Yeah. 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 And, um, yeah, I was in, in, it really was the best thing for me at the time because, you know, it was just me, you know, there was, there was no one else there, but me. And, you know, you know, I needed that experience of, you know, having nothing to do but look in the mirror. And, um, you know, the, I, the decision I made is, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to drink again, but before I take another drink, I'm going to give the 12 steps a thorough shot because that's what I've heard works for a lot of people. Um, so a few days later, I was at a meeting. It was a Q&A meeting. I wrote on a book card. Um, you know, it, I need a sponsor so that I don't die. Those are my exact words. Huh. And it got put in a basket. So I literally left it a hundred percent of the chance. Like and, it, like in California, for people who don't know, they do Q and a meetings or they do them also around the country and you put topics right in a basket and they'll pull them out pretty yeah. much. Right. Yeah. Okay. In, in a, in a 12 step yeah. meeting. This is awesome. So did they, so they pulled it out. Yeah, they pulled it out and, and at this point in time, I'm still in the same hospital pants, same poncho, shaking, and clearly the only newcomer in the room. Yeah. So they read the card. I need a sponsor so I don't die. And there's crickets because it's like, who, who, wants, <laughs> to, <laughs> who wants to take on this project? Yeah. And, and this one, one guy, like, there was an awkward moment of silence, and one guy in the room, um, a, a room where most of the people in the room had time. One guy in the room raised his hand um, and his name was Dan and I was his first sponsee ever. He had just gotten a year um, and he's still my sponsor to this day and he recently got five years. Oh, wow. Um, you know, so, yeah. I mean, talk about higher higher power moments, you know, and higher power moments. And also my favorite book of all time is the alchemist, um, which my, my favorite line from that book is, you know, when you want something, the entire universe will help you conspire to, to, to have it. Um, and I, that was true when it came to wanting alcohol and wanting that next drug, you know, and wanting fired, but in, yeah, the same for sobriety. Um, and yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dan, Dan took me on as his sponsee and you know, my, my top priority had nothing else to do was 
you know, actually work these steps. Yeah. Um, Which a lot, you know, it's the first thing even now that I'll put aside, right? It's like, oh, like I got, I'm trying to put my career back or whatever. It's like, no, like this needs to be just like it is when you're coming around, like, like you were Chris, like this needs to be the number one thing in my life as you know, and it does for me today. I can't even give myself an out and say, especially when I first came in, but you know, it, it, it really needs, if you want to get sober and give this a shot, you got to be willing to go to any lengths and it's got to be the first thing you do. And sometimes we have the gift dude of unemployment and free time, you know, and, and the, of desperation. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I, I mean, you know, looking back, you know, I mean, everything like higher power, you know, every, everything was conspiring, in my opinion, conspiring, um, to help me and, you know, work, work those steps, um, you know, to the best, to the best of my ability. I, I know, you know, the big light bulb moment for me was on step four, um, you know, combination of four and five but you know that realization that if everything is someone else's fault there's nothing I can ever do to make my life better but if I can see my role in any situation in life then it instantly becomes a situation that can get better yeah. um and you know realizing that alcohol was never my problem it was my only solution it, my solution for my inability to deal with resentments, my inability to deal with fears. Um, and really, you know, just seeing life expand and, you know, that perspective shift, um, you know, and uh, I mean, I, I respect everyone's opinion when it comes to what helped them get sober or stay sober. Um, but for me personally, you know, I would, I would definitely be one of the people who say that the 12 steps are the reason I'm here. Yeah. Um, what's that? And it sounds like it. I mean, just again, like listening to you before this podcast, talking to you now, uh, you know, you, you kind of AA and, and 12 steps, whatever. It's not a, it's not a talk show. It's a walk show. And like, it's like, what are you going to do? You know? And it's all about, I, I like when you say, and you can incorporate it into different ways of stopping drinking or getting sober, but you know, the, it's all about action. I always say if Marshawn Lynch was, he'd be the best alcoholic ever, the best sober guy. Cause it's, all, it's about that action boss. I mean, it's like, what are you going to do? What are you doing today? You know, like, what are you doing now? And I so appreciate that. And I so appreciate your story. How, how did things start to, to shift for you? Like career wise with a clear heart and a full mind, did you start to find that? Okay. I am able to finish stuff now. I'm able to achieve and not every idea maybe hits, but you know, you're a serial entrepreneur. I'm sure you're taking some big swings, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, day, day, uh, 30, like first day out of rehab. Um, I'm in a sober living and, um, it, it might've been a day or two after cause it was actually, uh, it was like Christmas Eve, uh, when you know this popped into my mind but i gotten yeah actually it was december 22nd i i know for sure now because i got 30 days that day um and i'm sitting in an aa meeting and i'm remembering that app for undiscovered musicians supporting each other 
that had epically failed uh, due to our inability to execute. And it's like, well, I might be in a better position to execute now and I have time. So what if I were to try this same exact concept, but for people in recovery? And, you know, the idea popped in my mind and it, it stuck and I had nothing else on my plate. Um, <laughs> so I immediately got to coding when I got home and, you know, it, I was I was coding on a on a laptop that had a shattered screen, so I had to connect it to a, a monitor in order to even view anything that was on my screen and but started coding and, you know, 30 days later, um, Apple approved a very ugly MVP of Sober Sidekick. Sober Sidekick, um, which is, you know, basically how you came on my radar and incredible what you're doing. So they, uh, they approve this. Uh, how the hell, I mean... That's a whole nother podcast, right? But you get it approved in, in 60 days or 30? 30, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, and it's, I it speaks I to, did. like, sobriety and, like, God, mm-hmm. you know, I think we all have tools and skills that are God-given. Mm-hmm. I believe that. That makes us unique. Whatever it is you do and you might be good at, when you're sober and you can allow the universe or whatever God to work through you, you have, we all have stuff to give. You know, and here's all this you're about to give that was just totally, you know, it was it was stopped. It was being stifled by all this alcohol and drugs. And worse, you're acting like a maniac, just like I was, right? Um, in addiction. So you get this thing approved. I mean, is your mind blown or what? Um, I mean, it's exciting. Um, you know, I'd gotten apps approved by Apple in the past. Um, but it's exciting from the sense that like this is literally what I'm work like this is I literally built the app for me yeah you know yeah. in in that you know 60 days sober and what was exciting day one because you know I you know I could barely pay a $20 subscription for like the basic tools that I needed um and what was exciting for me was seeing random people like this happened day one, like random people, not a lot, you, you know, maybe five or 10 random people around the country find this app somehow download it and give each other support. Um, day one. And I mean, you know, that, 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 those dopamine hits will keep you moving forward regardless. Just that, I mean, then that's what recovery is all about for people that don't know and are listening to this. Like the, the, the feeling you get, from people vibing or, or, you know, of anything that you can do to help them or just from helping um, is mm-hmm. that gives me the feeling that alcohol and drugs used to give me. Oh yeah. 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 Um, yeah. A hundred percent. It's that positive dopamine. It's that earned dopamine. Um, and, you know, as you, as you kind of mentioned, you know, at that point in time I was starting you realize that, you know, I have skills that can help others and benefit others. But also what was really cool is the platform in itself was designed to make people realize that their experience has value and that they have something to offer others. 
and the entire platform was built on the concept of paying it forward. And, you know, the stat I'm most proud of when it comes to Sober Sidekick that is true to this day is no member has ever posted on the platform without being reached out to by another member of the community. Um, and, you know, it, it was that pay it forward, uh, give to receive cycle that was the core, the basics of the platform from the beginning that, you know, really differentiated it. Um, and it was the reason why our early members were willing to forgive a horrible <laughs> user experience um, because it, it did one thing that no other app does, which is guarantee you that no matter what time of day that you reach out in this platform, someone else in the platform will reach back out to you. Um, and yeah, it, it was special, um, especially early on. Well, let me ask you this. How about now? I mean, this thing has really, really grown. Um, it's helped a shitload of people. What are some of the responses you you've gotten throughout the, you know, the years and even, even recently that just, I mean, I would imagine you get a lot because people in the sober community are, are they're quick to lend help and they're also quick to, you know, the, we do show gratitude, hopefully, right? Mm -hmm. So, I'm, But I'm sure you've heard some positive stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I've seen a few reviews that go along the lines of, you know, this app had me in tears within minutes, um, which to me is just so uh, impactful, um, you know, because I know what that feeling is like the first time you're truly honest and vulnerable with someone and the weight that gets lifted uh, when they say, I get it, I've been there. Um, you know, it it's reviews like that that made, made my day. Um, you know, I, I saw, a re, I mean, I saw a review come through today that literally says that like this app had me in tears within minutes. And then also today, I saw a written review that says, I don't know if I would have a year sober if it weren't for sober sidekick. Um, and, you know, especially early on when, you know, there's no cash, no revenue, you know, it was seeing those types of responses that was what I got paid in, um, you know, was just seeing the impact uh, that it was having. Um, but one of the, one of the more impactful experiences is when I started to meet people in the real world who I didn't know from Adam, who told me, like, who knew who I was and told me the impact that Sober Sidekick had on them. Um, you know, on my, on my desk at home, I have a uh, badge or a patch um, from a DEA uh, officer who gave it to me. Um, I met him in California and he was, you know, years, years after I left the sober living, he was staying in the same sober living that I had stayed in. Um, and he told me, you know, I, I flew out here from Idaho or Iowa. I forget which one to California to get help. And it's because of the support I received in sober sidekick. Wow. And I never would have thought help with my job, you know, the way it is, you can't admit you have a problem. I never would have admitted I had a problem, but I was dying on the inside and, and sober sidekick saved my life. <laughs> um, and you know, it's, it's those experiences that, you know, I've truly, you know, 
I mean, you know, this, this is what it's about. And, you know, I'm sure you saw the article in Forkin about, you know, VC pressure and revenue pressure and all these different things. But, you know, the reason why we're able to confidently, um, you know, stay true to our mission isn't because of any individual strength of us, our founders, um, or, you know, character or anything like that. It's just because we, we've heard so many stories from our members. We, you know, that we can't unhear it. Yeah. And their stories are just so powerful. So inspirational, you know, their epic comeback stories to where like, you know, we like, there's no way we can do anything that, you know, sacrifices that, you know, cause it, it, it's just invaluable. So for people real quick, do you have like a, like a 30 second, like what exactly is for a minute sober sidekick? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when you look at the, substance abuse space, we see the fact that we're spending $43 billion a year on treatment that is seeing success rates of three to 5%. Um, meanwhile, you know, we've seen the success that AA and programs like that have had by engaging people in the real world and meeting people where they're at. So Sober Sidekick, it's an app in the app store. But, you know, our unique value proposition is what we call our empathy algorithm. And it's an algorithm that guarantees that there is no scenario of which a member ever, ever, ever writes a post and doesn't immediately receive support from another member of the platform. And, uh, you know, we've gamified empathy to the point where for every member who posts, 6.2 people will respond um, in minutes, if not seconds. Um, so this means at 2 a.m. when, you know, you're isolated, when you're, you just got in a fight with your significant other and the old ideas are coming up, you know, there's an option to write a post anonymously at 2 a.m. and immediately have people reaching out to you, um, with support, with love, with grace, with empathy. And, you know, we are our thesis is the opposite of addiction is connection. And, you know, we aren't the first to say that, um, but, you know, we're proving it in real time. And, you know, for my own self personally, I know the more isolated I am, the closer I am to another drink. Oh, for sure. And yeah, yeah. For us, like our enemy is not alcohol. It's not Coke. It's not heroin. It's isolation. hundred percent. You know, yeah, yeah, and and that's what we're fighting against. That's what we're we're optimizing against, and um, yeah, and we see it in real time. The more a member engages with their peers, literally, it's like a, it, they are three hundred percent more likely to remain sober by the fifth time they've engaged <laughs> with their peers within the platform. Um, you know, and it it's stuff like this that you know, our health industry just is not focused on it. All the monetization is short-term care. Well, I, I, yes. Minimal outcomes. When I saw the, go ahead. Yep. But I don't want to cut you off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So finish your thought. Were you going to say yet? You said it was all about monetization. Yeah. yeah monetization of short term outcomes. And, you know, unfortunately, the incentives are more for repeat uh, treatment goers, such as myself, you know, those three months in LA. Um, you know, those are incentivized more than long-term success, which is why, you know, we see the three to 5% success rates. Um, and you know, we see the human trafficking, we see the body brokering, all these different things that come out of the incentives being in the wrong place, you know? So for us as a company, you know, we're here to, uh, realign the incentives towards long-term outcomes. And, you know, the only way to know what long-term outcomes look like is to create long-term engagement. And, you know, for us, we've seen that nothing leads to more lasting engagement than not a member's connection to Sober Sidekick, but, you know, their connection to each other. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we're here to feel is connections to each other. Dude, I, it's unbelievable. And I was thinking today, it's great that, you know, you're younger than me and the, the folks that are coming up with all this know-how and all these skills you're talking about are able to bring stuff like this to the table because it's super important and I think it taps into a, a whole nother vein as far as this thing is concerned. A lot of people don't want to come out. People, look, I would suggest anybody walk into a meeting, right? But, like, it ain't happening all the time. Yeah, and, and there's a place where you can go where you can dip your toe in the water. And I, and I love that. I love that about Sober Sidekick and what you're doing. Before I let you go, any, any got anything else? Any other gems to drop on us? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm kind of spitballing here, but, you know, I, I guess to anyone who's on this recovery journey, um, you know, I, I guess, you know, there's one story that I found to be impactful um, is, you know, the day that you want to quit. Um, You know, and I think for me personally, you know, there was a day I was almost six months sober and uh, you know, I had done a pitch. It went horrible. I was in San Francisco. I, you know, I missed the check-in for my hotel. I had, like no money to go get another hotel. And I walked into a store and bought a bottle. And, you know, at that point in time, I was, you know, ready to quit. I had bought the bottle. And by the time I bought the bottle, I thought, you know, this is over, you know, I'm done. Um, It's the end of the world. And, you know, I, I unscrewed the cap, tried to lift the bottle to my lips, but every time I I got it closed, I, I just couldn't. And I set it back down. And, you know, I realized that, you know, this is a defining moment and, you know, it doesn't have to end this way. Um, You know, this is a bad moment, but it doesn't have to be a bad day. And one of the things my sponsor had told me is there's only two types of days in recovery, good days and great days. You know, the good days is when everything goes your way and you stay sober. And the great days is when nothing goes your way and you stay sober. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, that stuck with me. And, you know, I look back at that point in time and it's just like, I can't imagine, you know, 
how different life would be had I took that drink at six months. And, 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 um, and for all the people you've positively impacted. Yeah, I mean, I, I truly can't take credit for that. You know, I mean, when it comes to my recovery, all I did was get out of my own way. Um, you know, and yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, but, you know, looking back in all the conversations we've had with our members since and, you know, seeing the experience, strength and hope from their, their stories, you know, we're, we're just here for one more day, you know, and that's all we have. Um, and, you know, to anyone who might hear this podcast and, you know, relate or, you know, you know, need a voice to talk to or need a voice to listen, I'd be glad to be that person. Um, you know, so yeah, we'll put, we'll put all that, we'll put your contact and stuff. Um, in the show notes, I mean, not your phone number, but you know, I'll put put your uh, Instagram and stuff out there. Um, dude, dude, this has been great. I I can't thank you enough. I'm so, uh, you know, it's one of those things I'm ready. I feel, um, you know, like I'm levitating, which is always a good sign. So I, I, I love talking to other alcoholics and feeling that connection that you talk about. Um, it's just, you know, it's what drives me today. Yeah, I, I appreciate the work that you're doing. And, you know, any anything when it comes to, you know, confronting the stigma and, you know, embracing empathy and embracing the good, the bad, the ugly, um, you know, we, we we need more people like you in this world that are, you know, boldly uh, and courageously uh, sharing these stories and, and bringing them to light, you know, because, you know, people don't die. People die because they think they're alone when it comes to this disease. And, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for having me and all the work you're doing. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that and, and right back at you. I'll be in touch, man. Thank you. I appreciate you, Chris. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. Thanks so much. You got it. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. 